It's good to be able to sit around and talk. And uh, here I come interrupting you, but we must proceed. I want to welcome you to Explore. And we're going to do a a couple of things by way of announcement, get that out of the way, and then move on into our our discussion of the day. Uh, First, I have a couple of quick commercials. One has to do with the card that you have on your table. This is just shameless promotion is all it is. Uh, We are, we being the church, we are friends of a great ministry, and many of you are involved in that, and that's Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of the many uh, departments or, or ministries under Campus Crusade is called Priority Associates. They reach out to the businessmen and women of of Orlando and throughout the country. And we thought that it would be good for you to know that I am going to be involved in something coming up on a Wednesday, a week and a half from now. They're going, they invited me to come to this location that's on the card and do one segment of the real faith class that we did last fall. Some of you were involved in that. Every week we looked at a different movie and a popular movie in the culture and looked at it from a Christian worldview and learned what we could from it about God, commented about it from a Christian perspective, uh, learned in the process how to look at movies, how Christians should view movies. And so this is one of those segments. They've invited me to come and do that to demonstrate how Christians can do do that kind of thing. And we might do it again next year sometime, but uh, this is just a one-shot deal. So if you want to come, I would love to have a few familiar allies and faces out there in the crowd. Um, it's going to be Wednesday the uh, 19th, 7 o'clock down at the um, Orlando Museum of Art. And I think that uh, I'm going to be showing the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks and looking at that and we'll have some discussion. All right, that's commercial number one. Number two, this is, that is today, is the last class of our apologetic series. Remember, originally it was just going to be February and March, and then we lost a couple of weeks' time, and so it crept on into April, but today I'm ready to bring it to a close. I think we've kind of beat it up a bit, and uh, we've covered some introductory principles about how to do apologetics, so today's going to be the last class of that. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're not going to meet at all, but then the following Sunday, which would be, what day would that be? 23rd? The 23rd of April, we will begin another whole series, and I'm going to be entitling it Questioning Evangelism. Um, Has anybody here ever read this book or heard of it? Okay, that's good. I'm glad. Um, It is a good way to follow up what we've been doing in the apologetics course. Um, Here's my purpose with Questioning Evangelism. I don't know about you, but I do not have the gift of evangelism. And I dare say most of us don't. And you know what we do? Because we figure we don't have the gift of evangelism, we don't do evangelism. (laughs) We don't do it very well. We don't talk about our faith enough. I I mean, I'm telling you that I don't talk about my faith enough. And I want to. I want to do better in that area. And one of the ways, one of the many ways that we can begin to get better at witnessing is by doing a method like this, questioning evangelism. It's similar to what we've been doing in apologetics because it's a way to learn what are the right questions that we should ask people in order to steer conversations toward a spiritual direction and, and even get to the point of asking people, 
would you like to receive Jesus Christ? I mean, that's a, that's a, a lot for a lot of us. But this course will help us. Now, I'm not asking you to buy the book. I'm going to take the book and kind of adapt it to our format. And we're still going to have a table discussion. I'm still going to present things each week. But it's going to be about a month-long series, four or five weeks maybe at most, taking us through the end of May into the subject of questioning evangelism, how to steer people toward Christ by a series of asking them good questions. So that's what we're going to do next. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, definitely. I should. I should buy some copies, and we'll have it out there. You can purchase it, and I'll make a little money on the side and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point, though, Cam. Um, third commercial, although I don't really want to talk it, talk it that way, I want to introduce to you a couple of people, Bob and Susan Combs. Bob and Susan are sitting right over here with the Akers family, and uh, I just want to introduce them to you. They are with Campus Crusade for Christ, a section of that called Here's Life Inner City. Same ministry that Chris and Karen Akers work with. And the reason I point them out to you is that they're here in our area for a little while. Uh, they are from L.A. They've just adopted a little precious baby girl. What is her name? Kaylin. And uh, because they have adopted this girl or in process of wrapping all that up, they're going to be here for a while. And a couple of things you may be able to help them with or know who, who could. One is they need a car to use while they're in Orlando. Secondly, they could use a place to stay that's a little bit more permanent than, you know, jumping from house to house. So if you can help them with either one or both of those or maybe can point them in the right direction, that would be great. If you have some, uh, maybe you could talk to them too if you have some baby equipment sitting around your house that's not being used. They might be able to use a couple of things like that. So Bob and Susan, we're here to help. Hopefully... Uh, God is going to meet every need there. But way to go. We're glad. Bravo for doing what you're doing and for being here in our area. We're glad to see you. Oh, really? They have a two-year-old, too? Okay. So a family of four. All right. So after class, go over and meet Bob and Susan. All right. That's all my commercials. Any other announcements that somebody needs to make in here before we proceed? All right. You know about the coffee, the pastries. Please help yourself. Today's subject is your questions, and hopefully they get answers. What we're going to do today is take the entire time from now to about, well, an hour from now, and open the floor for questions of any kind about Christianity, except science questions. <laughs> you remember Hugh Ross dealt with science a few weeks ago, and I told you that time don't come back the following week with any more questions about creation or evolution or because yeah, that's not me. That is not my forte. But if they have to do with the Bible, theology, uh, questions of faith and practice within the community of faith that we call Christianity, I would love to open the floor to your questions. Now, you'll hope that we can come up with answers. They may be too hard for that. They may be in the area of mysteries and I cannot promise you that you will walk out of the class today with an answer. But as best I can, I will try to address the question, and maybe others in the room can address the question as well. And so we're going to pray and then dive off. Uh, do you remember that um, back about six or eight weeks ago, you actually tossed out a number of questions that you had then? And I have them all on this sheet. We've answered a bunch of them in the class so far. So what I thought I would do is tell you the questions that I think we've answered or at least we've, we've tried to address. And then I'll let you pick 
I may begin the discussion with one of them that I think looks good, but then I'll let you pick the questions from that point on or even come up with new ones, okay? So let's go ahead and pray because we need a lot of prayer today for these questions to get answered. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. Uh, Father, as we come together today in this place, we are here only because of your mercy. There's not a one of us in this room that deserves to know Christ and to be heaven-bound. And yet you, by your mercy and grace, have worked salvation into our hearts, and we so thank you for that. Thank you for giving us a hope and a future, Lord. Thank you for giving us a reason to wake up in the morning, a reason to go to work tomorrow, a reason to speak about Christ to other people, a reason to love our parents, our children, our spouse. Father, we ask that you will bless everything that goes on the rest of this hour, not only in this room, but in the rest of the Sunday school classes down the hall. We pray for the worship service taking place in the next building. Lord, we ask that as the word of God is preached, that you will quicken faith in the hearts of many people. And Father, today on this campus, surely there is someone who is still a stranger to the good news of Jesus. And we pray that you will open that person's eyes and heart. And Father, create faith in that person. Help today be the beginning of a brand new life that will stretch on into eternity for that person, we pray. We also pray, Father, today in thanks for bringing Bob and Susan our way. Thank you for their ministry. And we thank you for Caitlin, and thank you, Father, for the way that you have brought this uh, family into being. We pray for them as they try to get adjusted to the new things and ask that you will meet their need as they're here in Orlando. And, Father, um, we also pray today for Cam's father, uh, Cam Coughlin, who asked for prayer for his dad, that you will work faith in him, too. And, Father, give Cam wisdom as he tries to reach out to his dad. Lord, thanks for what we're about to do. We pray for wisdom. We pray that we will be uh, that we will be biblical in our answers. We pray that we will, even when we don't know the answer, be able to bow at your throne and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. All right, gang. Um, here are some of the questions. Uh, Fran, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Judas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Heretical? Yeah, sure. You want to talk about that today? All right. Fran's asking about this newly uh, uh, studied... Um, yeah, discovered, I think, back in the 70s or something like that, called the Gospel of Judas. I felt that that question would come up today, so we're going to hit it in a little while. All right, so just hold on. Here are some of the questions that we have discussed in here already. Um, one day Mark was here as my substitute and dealt with the question, why bad things happen to good people? Remember that, the whole mystery about uh, God's will through suffering and pain and and, and why things happen when we don't understand them. Um, if God is good, why is there pain and suffering? Same, same basic question. Uh, why is Jesus the only way? We dealt with that on a Sunday. And uh, though we didn't cover it fully, we kind of hit that question. Um, uh, what about the sincere Muslim who does not know about Jesus? We talked about that somewhat. Uh, let's see. Why, how can God send people to hell? That was a subject. Was that just last week? I think it was. 
Um, how can we know the Bible is true and not man-made? We talked about that on week two, I believe it was. Um, and that included why is the Bible true and applicable to all areas of life? Uh, how did the universe begin? Are science and Christianity at odds? That was Hugh Ross. He dealt with that a, a little bit better than I think I could. Um, okay. That's all. I think those are the ones. Now, here are some of the ones that we did not answer. And I'm going to throw them out to you. And you can say, yeah, I really want to talk about that. Um, uh, let's see. Why what? That I was going to get to that one. Hold on to that one. Um, we didn't talk about this one. Why are there so many denominations? And why can't Christians agree? Okay. I could come up with a short answer to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's, here's one. I'm happy now. Why should I change? That's a good question. Um, why is Jesus both God and man? Excellent question. Why do the wicked live long and acquire power? In other words, how come, you know, the, the unrighteous prosper while the righteous suffer? A question raised by the scriptures themselves many times. Why do some people profess to be Christians and do unchristian things? People like me, you mean? <laughs> uh, and you? <laughs> and all of us? Um, what happened to people before Christ came? What happens to infants and children at death? Do good people go to heaven? How do we know God's will? Why do I need to go to church? Here, here's the question. If the purpose is to build our family life, then why do I need to spend two hours in church instead of with my family? Okay. And finally, last but not least, the one that Karen was alluding to, the biggest question of them all, why is it that good food is always bad for you? <laughs> so if you want to talk about that one, we can talk about that one. All right, that's, those are the, some of the ones that were submitted. Now, uh, Fran, do you want to start with your question about the Gospel of Judas? <laughs> okay. Just to sort of churn the mind up a little bit. Okay. Well, I do want to deal with that today, though. Is who? Some of the hardest people to talk to, family members, yeah. About your faith, you mean. Ooh, how do you start a conversation with an adult family member who is not a, a believer? Is that your question? Very carefully. <laughs> uh, you know what? I have not had to deal with... Well, yes, I have, with my parents. I was thinking children. You're talking children. Yeah. Right, it could go any, anyway. I, I'm sure there is a lot of wisdom on that issue right here. I, I'm sure many of you have had to deal with this. I do think very carefully is where we must start. Um, very carefully because family members are a lot more sensitive to anything that looks like judgment or condemnation or pushing them than your friends and relative or more distant relatives and neighbors would be. Um, I know in my own case that when I became a Christian in college and began to witness to my parents, I probably did more to damage my relationship with them and maybe, only God can say this, maybe even their relationship with God by doing it the way I did it than if I had been patient and loving and kind and careful. 
uh, I came in with a cannon and blasted away at them and told them this is what you should believe this is why are you doing this this is so wrong and so I think that you know a principle this is not an answer but a principle would be carefully patiently lovingly respectfully and perhaps we should add prayerfully I wonder if prayer is not the most important thing we could do about our family members who don't know Christ I would say that is a given code it in prayer um, and uh, and Fran I might suggest that this questioning evangelism that we're going to talk about might be a great approach rather than coming down on them or talking at them preaching at them would be to know the right question and when to ask it you know but let's hear from someone else that's been there before what what else might you add to what I just said yes Scott did you blew your parents away <laughs> right. as the rock is approaching the kayak yeah do you know Jesus <laughs> that's good Scott thanks for the reinforcement um, I think that's what I heard Scott say is by serving our family members is a really important way and maybe even by by repenting before them, you know, there might be a way of apologizing for how we've hurt them. A good resource, I might pass your way, Fran, and this might help someone else too. A book by Jack and Rosemarie Miller called "Come Back, Barbara." Has anybody here ever read "Come Back, Barbara"? It's written by two parents who are ordained. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister, and they did everything right. They reared their children on the Westminster Catechism and the Confession of Faith and all the right churches and read, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis books to them all the time, didn't watch TV, homeschooled. I mean, they did everything you'd, you'd suppose a dedicated parent ought to do. And every child embraced Christ except Barbara. And she not only did not embrace Christ, but she ran the other way away from her parents and hooked up with, uh, started living with a drug dealer, became a drug dealer herself, and all kinds of stuff. And then the book chronicles how Jack and Rosemary reacted toward Barbara and what they did. And it, it's really an honest, uh, practical book of what to do and not to do when you have a, an unbeliever for a child, an adult child. So it's per, probably right up your alley. I might suggest that. Thank you for bringing that up. Do you, loving the Prodigal. That sounds like a great title. Eileen, did I see a hand? Good, thanks, Eileen. It's good advice. Yes, Lindsay. Okay. What's your question? Uh huh. Well, the first thing that pops in my head is uh, to just love him and be kind and serve him, like we've been saying. Um, I think that what I don't know if you would echo what I'm about to say, but when I was just on the edge of becoming a Christian. The thing that was the most helpful to me when I was on my college campus is watching the lives of the guys and girls who were Christians. It wasn't what they said to me. In fact, there's this one guy named Bob Hall. He died real early in life, and he's with the Lord now. But Bob Hall was one of my uh, uh, dorm buddies, and he was a Christian. And he never talked to me about Jesus. But what he did do, he was cheerful, he was kind, he was different from everybody else. And he just loved me. He enjoyed uh, 
talking to me and things like that. And it was seeing him being different. And I think that your dad, just as he watches you, Lindsay, be, be a different person, being helpful around the home, being obedient, being kind, uh, making good choices, um, loving people, living a life with God by praying and coming to church. I mean, all of those things add up as he watches you. Um, and you remember one of the verses that we've learned in this course is from First Peter, uh, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to, for a reason for the hope that lies within you. And so it probably is true that it's just going to take your dad a little longer than some people to begin to ask questions. You know, but, but what he needs to see first is the hope that lies within you. Does that help? Uh, anybody want to add to that? Randy? Good point. I have a friend named Steve. Uh, in fact, he teaches at the seminary, Steve Childers. Some of you might know Steve Childers. Um, his dad, like yours, Lindsay, was not a Christian. And so Steve decided, there's not much I can do for my dad. He was very closed and everything, but he said, I can pray for him every day. And so my friend Steve wrote a little prayer for his dad out on a 3 by 5 card. It was just real short, like, God, please open my dad's heart and bring him into the family, something like that. And he put it on his bedside table. And he committed to praying that little prayer, reading it, even when he was maybe not into it heart-wise, but he would just read the prayer and go to sleep. And his dad came to Christ. And, I mean, it was just through that day-in, day-out praying. God can bring somebody else into your dad's life. He doesn't necessarily need you, and that's a relief. Uh, Kim, same question or something different? Right. That's great. Good. All right, let's move on to another subject. Uh, did I see a hand over that way somewhere? No? Okay, Randy. All right, the question is, you're talking to somebody else, trying to kind of get the gospel in there, and they basically say, I'm, it's working great for me be, not being a Christian. I'm happy. Why should I change? What do you, your question is, what do you do then? What do you say? Uh-huh. Yeah, good luck. Okay, thanks. See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, clearly we're not happy with that answer, are we? Um, because we know that if they've really never committed themselves to Christ, uh, there's still a God-shaped vacuum in their lives, and they're not happy. They may just have an antiseptic, or not an antiseptic, an anesthesia of some kind over that pain. But the question is, how do you deal with that? You're the apologist. What do you do next, Dave? Uh-huh. Good. That's good. Yeah. So keep pushing a little bit. In fact, that kind of question, uh, well, what about the afterlife? Do you believe in that? That kind of question will begin to open up the basis on which they find their happiness. And that's really where you want to get to. What, why are they happy? And maybe that would be another approach. Where, where does your happiness come from? What do you, what, uh, where, what, what do you find as your motivating power for life, or something to that effect? That might be a, another way of doing it. Does anybody else have a thought on that? Have you met people like this? Maybe let's hear a testimonial. Has anyone ever had a conversation with somebody who seems blissfully happy? And. You tried something? Yeah. 
Please don't. <laughs> Good. Right, really? Okay. My wife and I have uh, an uncle. It's an uncle on my wife's side who is one of these, like Randy is talking about. He is one of the happiest men I know. In fact, his whole family is this way. They do not uh, really demonstrate um, a Christian faith, although they do go to church from time to time. They're sort of the Christmas and Easter crowd. And uh, they love each other so much. Their family life seems wonderful. They're wealthy. They are uh, successful. Um, It's been the most challenge for Susie and me to know how do you present the claims of Christ to a person who seems so secure and um, really doesn't feel a need for it. Well, we were at... um, my house we invited the whole cook family over to my house last christmas and it finally broke open <laughs> and we and several of us who were talking to this man his name's tom found out that he could get so angry very quickly because the subject of sin came up i don't remember i wish i could tell you randy what were the steps that we followed but uh Basically, we got into the subject of uh, the fact that we're not good. I, oh, I know how it was. I remember. He said basically, uh, well, you know, being good uh, will get a person into heaven. That's essentially what, what he said. And he is a very good man. And uh, I or someone in, in the group just mentioned that, well, that's the problem because we're not good. And wow, that just really took the, the lid off of him and, and some of his kind of true color showed he got very angry and uh, defended himself quite a lot and I, I remember saying well well goodness probably needs to be judged by what Jesus said makes someone good and that that is perfection uh, Jesus said you must be perfect even as my father in heaven is perfect that's the standard for goodness that God would accept and I said to him Tom do you think you've been perfect and he said well no of course not and and I say, well, I haven't been either. I've been far, far from perfect. So we need something else on which to ground our hope for heaven than being good. So one thing led to another, and I don't know that it uh, succeeded really in um, cracking his his uh, uh, foundation open any. But that's kind of what we tried to do in that case. Try to get down to what is it that you're grounding your happiness in, and in Dave's Dave's suggestion. Well, look how temporary that is. Is that going to take you into eternity? Is that going to last? Uh, or some other idol that people find appealing? I don't know if... Any other... One more thought on that one from Randy? Uh, okay, Scott. So so if anybody here needs dishes done, I think we can call Scott from now on. That's the second... <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay, do you want to deal with the Gospel of Judas thing? Okay, I mean, that's a real very current issue that's going on. Isn't it interesting that we have around us in our culture today a lot of things about Jesus going on? The Da Vinci Code, is. when is that going to be released? Does anyone know? In May, May 19th? Okay. Tom Hanks' stock, huh? Oh, really? I I thought Dan Brown won that. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was being he was being sued, I think, by some people who claimed he that they had come out with this information before he did. So I, I believe I saw on uh, the headlines that it's been resolved and they're free to continue to do the movie. So Tom Hanks is starring in it. Ron Howard is directing it. So you know that this is going to be a very popular movie. The book, I notice, has just come out in paperback. So it's a lot more affordable. So it's going to be out there. But then you have this Gospel of Judas thing. And I, I am... By no means can I address this as an expert, but I'll just tell you what I think I know and uh, see what other thoughts there are out there. First of all, we shouldn't be surprised at all at this discovery and its publication because there were lots of things written about Jesus in the early centuries uh, after Christ. Lots of things. And we know about a lot of them already. It's just that this one has been the newest one to kind of hit the newsstands. But there are a lot of what are known as pseudepigraphal, I think I said that correctly, uh, writings and uh, post-biblical apocryphal writings. I'm talking about things that have been written that have a religious nature or a spiritual nature and Jesus figures into them somewhere. It's just like people would write books today about Jesus. That's what they were doing. They were writing things about Jesus. And so this Gospel of Judas uh, is now being uh, looked at, analyzed. And um, a couple of things, I guess, that I've heard and read about them. Number one is that this clearly bears the stamp of a Gnostic group of people, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. You can read about these guys. They were the Gnostics of the first few centuries and uh, even before Christ, Gnosticism was a particular view that had to do with how you get special knowledge. The word gnosis or, uh, yeah, that is a word that means knowledge or knowing or something like that. And so the Gnostics were all about knowing the secret mysteries of the universe. And so they were highly intellectual and speculative people, and they wrote a lot of these kinds of things. And one of the things that they were trying to do was write things that would debunk the Christian Gospels. Um, And so the Gospel of Judas comes out, and it not only is a Gnostic heresy, we would say, but it also says things that are clearly contradicted by our Bible. So... How do we evaluate the Gospel of Judas? We go back to what we learned a few weeks ago about how we evaluate anything, any philosophy. We trust our Bible. And the reason we trust our Bible is that it's been supported by lots and lots of evidence and a lot of reason why it's reliable. One of which is that we've got like thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Here we have... How many manuscripts of the Gospel of Judas? Is it just one? One manuscript is found, and suddenly people want to call into question you know, the things we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is supported by over 4,000 different manuscripts. So, as we read the Gospel of Judas, I think we read it like we would read the apocryphal books that were written, you know, between 400 B.C. and the birth of Christ, we read them as interesting bits of history and folklore. I think folklore is a good word for it. It might have some historical basis. For one thing, there was a person named Judas. 
and there was a person named Jesus. In a way, I think we can sort of take heart that these things are making people think about the person named Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope it doesn't take them way down a rabbit trail too far. It could be. It could become very destructive. But uh, but I think there's maybe a good side in it, the fact that we can come to our brethren around here in this city and say, what do you think about the gospel of Judas? What do you think about the person of Jesus and the fact that this person, Judas, is talked about? So, uh, but to the two things I, I would say in answer would be it's Gnostic in its philosophy, and we reject that outright, and it's also factually inconsistent with Scripture, and, and so we reject that as well. Now, you may have done a little more study than I have about it, but what else would you want to add, Chris, and then Phil? Well, I thought there was great that Yeah. That's what the Da Vinci Code is saying, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good question. Really, we've got to get back to that question. Uh, Chris's question is the issue of canon, C-A-N-O-N. Um, if you're not familiar with that, it's talking about the books, the set of books that we accept as authoritative that would be known as the canon. And you and I, as Protestant believers, have always accepted the canon being the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament that you and I have in our laps this morning. And uh, so that's what we would consider the canon. Um, Old Testament. Let's talk about Old Testament first. The Old Testament books that we consider as canon were received by Jesus, quoted, in fact, by Jesus. The books fall into three categories, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And in Jesus' ministry, he quoted from all three of those categories. So we draw the conclusion that Jesus accepted the Old Testament canon that you and I have now. Um, He quoted many of the stories, alluded to many of the stories in the Old Testament. And what we've basically come up with over the time of church history is that the Old Testament canon was written by prophets or people closely associated with prophets. Moses, David, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. All those guys had, they were either prophets by calling or prophetic in the work that they did. And so we rely on those as authoritative because they were written by prophets and they were accepted by Jesus and received by the apostles. And so then we go over into the New Testament. I'm trying to kind of really skate through this fast. Um, In the New Testament, the same sort of principles applied. Only in the New Testament, it was apostolic authorship. It was, did did an apostle write this book or someone who was closely associated with an apostle? And that's why you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so on. And um, here's the way that appears that the canon worked. It wasn't that a lot of people got together and looked at, a, an, at an anthology of books and collected a bunch of books and said, now which ones do we want to pick as being canonical? That's not the way it worked. That's like treating the Bible like an anthology of writings from which you pick and choose the ones you like and you reject the ones you don't like. Instead, it worked like this. The books were received as canonical because they had been received as canonical. Now, that doesn't sound real 
authoritative, but that's really the way it worked. It was automatically an, an assumption that these are the writings. And then when some other writings would surface, which they did. In fact, I, I drew up on from the Internet today a list. There are over 280 different uh, other writings out there. Uh, a few examples. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Hebrews, the Protoevangelium of James. Um, and then later on there came the Epistle of Pseudo-Barnabas, the Epistle to the Corinthians, not the ones that we, that we know. The, uh, the Ancient Homily also known as the second epistle of Clement, the shepherd of Hermas, the Didache, the apocalypse of Peter, and now we have the, uh, the gospel of Judas. You, you have a lot of these things, and when they were written and when they were read, they were not received as canonical by the church. It was some years later that a council was held, and at the council they said, these are the writings that have always been received by the church. These are the ones we recognize as authoritative. Now, another evidence for what are the can, uh, canonical books is that there were lists of the ones that were received as canonical that go way back. And uh, you can look at these lists, and they're pretty much the same as the Bibles that we have today. There are a couple of lists that questioned some of the books. Can anybody think of a couple of the books that were questioned? Second Peter, Revelation... Yeah, James was one. Uh, Hebrews. Uh, the some of some individuals had problems with some of those books. We should not put our heads in the sand and pretend that's not true, because it is true. But the vast majority of the lists that I was talking about and the councils that were held in the early centuries all go back and say the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New. These are the Word of God, and the others didn't line up. Now, one thing you need to recognize is that a lot of these writings that I was talking about, and the Apocrypha, too, the Apocrypha are the books that the Catholic Church accepts as canonical. And I think there are 11 of them. Um, they are not in our Bibles because we don't believe they are the Word of God. For one thing, they flat-out contradict some of the books of our Bible. And philosophically... Some of them just are like this Gnostic gospel of Thomas. They, they just don't ring true. They come from a whole philosophical set of presuppositions that don't line up with the Bible. And there are other things that we could say about that. But um, Now, I saw some hands because I'm not the lone authority here or the, even the authority. Phil? Oh, good. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. That's good, Phil. Thanks. Let's see, Scott had his hand up a long time ago. Did you want to weigh in on that? Hmm. Once again, we see how innately religious human beings are. We will always talk about religion because we know down in our hearts that there is a God, and, uh, and yet we shouldn't be surprised that it gets distorted into these different things that we see happening. Dave? Really? Oh, my goodness. Like at Barnes & Noble and stuff? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it was found in the 70s. Am I right? Yeah. Phil, do you know more about it? And then, but then it was sort of laid aside or whatever until now. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, Bob, I saw your hand a while back too. 
It'll be another one in five years. Yeah. Yeah, you sort of worry about that verse that Jesus said in the in the New Testament where he said that uh, the one who leads these little ones astray, it would be better for him to be uh, have a, a millstone hung around his neck and thrown in the, into the middle of the ocean than to have to face Judgment Day. Um, and you worry about that with people like this that promulgate things that do lead vast, untold numbers of people astray. And it's sad. Uh, you know, it might be a good idea if the, maybe the Sunday before the movie comes out, uh, whenever that is in May, we maybe should take this class and do one-shot deal on the Da Vinci Code. We had a course on that a year ago, and if you're interested in looking at it, it's on our website. You can go download the uh, the PDFs that were used as well as listen to the MP3 talks. It was a, about a six-week class on the Da Vinci Code, but that was a year ago, and it probably would be great to have one time before the movie comes out just to kind of help our church deal with the uh, what's coming. A study Bible, the Da Vinci Code study Bible, <laughs> or the How to Debunk the Da Vinci Code study Bible. <laughs> really, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh huh. That's great. So, is it a? This is a written thing that you're talking about. It's not a. It's not in video format or anything like that could we get a bunch of those that'd be great well if okay well if those of you with the proper connections would do that that'd be awesome we'll hand, hand them out here um i want to be fair uh fran already asked a question you have another one um okay yeah we're four minutes away from deadline, I'm trying to watch our clock. Bob, do you have a different question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was their agenda? Mm-hmm. Wow. Is it just a another way of saying, if it's true for you, that's great. It's not true for me. So we're back to the same, same thing. Well, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens out of this. At least, uh, to put a best face on it, at least um, it says that people are being challenged to think about the historical Jesus. I just hope that it'll lead them in the right direction. And that's our job, right? That's our job. Okay, um, one more question. I don't know from the list or from your own head out there if you want to talk about one more before we go. Of course, we have the why is all the good food bad for you? Shall we, shall we end with that one? <laughs> why is all the bad why is all the good food bad for you and that is an inviolable principle of life it's fat and it's flavorful okay yeah sweet yeah <laughs> well i must admit that when it comes to chinese food i always get general so's chicken and i was so dismayed to read not long ago that that's like one of the worst things to get because it's loaded with fat. And I thought, okay, that's why I like it. Same as chocolate cake at Macaroni Grill, if you've ever had that. My wife and I love the Macaroni Grill chocolate cake. And so it was her birthday a few weeks ago, and I went by and bought her just a piece of cake to go. 
took it home, and she went on. She made the mistake of going online to the Macaroni Grill uh, calorie counter website. This is truly amazing. In one square piece of the Macaroni Grill chocolate cake, there are uh, 1,500 calories. In one square. Isn't that amazing? Fifteen hundred cows. But I, what is the theological answer to our question? It's the curse. I agree. It's sin, right? And that's probably the answer to the question: Why are there so? Why are there uh, so many do not? Why can't Christians agree? The old Rodney King. Why can't we all get along? <laughs> because of sin. Because what's that, friend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's really a very good point. Uh, when it comes to why are there so many denominations, I've often thought, yes, there are clearly theological differences among us, and I don't want to minimize that. In fact, I'm a pretty theological guy, and I like being right, and I want to pursue the truth and so on like that. So I'm not denying that there are real substantive differences, but a lot of the differences among the denominations boil down to personality types. I mean, look at us, us Presbyterians. We're, uh, we're not real good at shouting and uh, getting excited on Sunday morning. We're intellectual. We like thinking. We're calm, a lot of us, most of us. Um, most of us guys are kind of flatline. Um, our wives are always telling us, to feel something. Come on, won't you feel, get mad or something like that. So we're all Presbyterians. And um, <laughs> Baptists are, are emotional and Charismatics are, well, no, ba- Baptists are, Baptists are sentimental. Charismatics are emotional, excitable. So we've all got these personality types. And once we get to heaven, we will all be in one place and we'll all appreciate each other's differences. But part of that is the curse and the fall and the fact that we're not there yet. A lot can be answered by that. We're not home yet, right? Anything else you want to add about good food, Nathan? <laughs> yeah. Denominations, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's a blessing. Um, and we are agreed, I think, on the essentials, Right. I mean, when you take the, the, the basic Protestant denominations that are still adhering to Scripture, the fact that we agree on the essentials that are listed in the Apostles' Creed, that is the basis on which we're, we have unity. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what is the requirement to get into heaven, is to believe that Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life. And, um, yeah, a lot of the... I used to worry about a lot of the other stuff. I used to really get out, been out of shape about the other stuff, and... It has declined in importance over the years because I realize how wrong I've been. Have, have any of you made that resolu- rev, uh, realization that you look back 20 years ago when you thought you were right and you see now how wrong you were? So that makes you a little more realistic now before you get dogmatic about things. Um, boy, I wish I could take back a lot of the stuff I used to say and do 20 years ago. God is very, very merciful, <laughs> truly. Well, why don't we wrap the class up, uh, first of all, with a thank you. I want to thank um, Eric and all of the other people that have attri- that, and Randy and uh, others of you that have run the soundboard. Thank you for those who do food service. 
Uh, but we're, here's the plan. Next week we're off. We don't meet. The following week we resume with a course on evangelism and how to share our faith through asking questions. So I hope you'll be back here. We'll have some more good times, and then we'll wrap that up at the uh, middle or end part of May. So let's wrap up with prayer, please. Father, we thank you that as we've talked today about a lot of good and interesting subjects, we thank you that really the answer is Jesus. Uh, He is the answer to our every question. And we pray that we might seek you and find you when we seek you with all of our hearts. Father, we pray for this whole phenomenon that we see about us in our culture, this gospel of Judas and its popularity, the Da Vinci Code and its popularity. Father, would you help us to be men and women who... uh, are able to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Help us to be ready, Father, and to show in our demeanor, our words, our attitudes, that we have hope. We pray, Father, that you'll lead our world to yourself and that your kingdom will, in fact, come more and more in our time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.